Hi there, and thanks for joining us. Coming up on this week's episode, what is in the National Development Plan for Cork, and is it going to fast-track some of those long-fingered projects? And we hear from a brand-new business that's helping women going through the menopause. I'm Jonathan Healy, and this is Red Business. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. Now, I've been around long enough to have seen a few national development plans, all of which included a particular role between Limerick and Cork, none of which delivered. So what made this week's announcement at Parky Cueve any different? Well, the answer is we don't quite know yet, but with me to talk through what the NDP in its latest green format means for Cork is Thomas McHugh, Director of Public Affairs with Cork Chamber. Hello, Thomas. How are you? Hey, Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, a usual bit of razzmatazz around this. Loads of promises. Sure, we'll have loads of trains, loads of buses and new roads. But we've heard it all before, haven't we? So what did you take from the announcement at Parky Cueve? I think the well, probably the headline announcement from the NDP is is where I suppose the overarching figure is going. So it's going to five percent GNI, um, which is rele- relevant to relative to the to the EU would be at about three percent. So we're taking our capital investment as a country higher than the EU average, which is very very encouraging. Uh, I would say you know to see stability brought to construction uh, for the foreseeable future with you know, 47,000 direct jobs and 33,000 indirect jobs, I think is very, very important. I think some of the inability to deliver infrastructure has, has been a, a legacy, obviously, of, of the last economic cycle. Um, but over, overarchingly, it covers you know, the, the broadest suite of projects. Um, it's maybe not uh, in, in shopping list format, but it's a very wide ranging document. But I think the main, the main challenge over the course of this NDP Jonathan won't be, I would say, access to to capital. It will be more around the ability to get significant projects through planning and to get them at a point where a final investment decision can actually be made and they can mm. go to tender. Yeah, and, and we, we'll get to the heavy lifting in just a minute, but one of the things that did stand out for me was really building a proper suburban rail network. Um, that's that's a real link between Mallow, Middleton and Cove, taking in Blarney uh, and other stations along the way. We've been kind of inching towards that, but that that is a green, sustainable solution, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And really, Cork is, is very in a fortunate position with having... Uh, the Cork Metropolitan Area Transport Strategy. So we have like a, a really strong position from a policy perspective. And when the funding is put into place, um, it creates great confidence around something like that. I think the really neat thing about rail is the funding is there and it's there from Europe as well for the um, for the Cove and Middleton lines to, to dual, dual track them and electrify them as well. Um, then you've got the upgrades to Kent Station and, uh, and, and onwards to, to Mallow. And if you can create that as like, Effect, effectively, um, you know, for, for argument's sake, Cork's equivalent to the dark from a commuting perspective. Um, it's a very, very strong proposition. If you can get the frequency to a point where people don't need a timetable and if you can get the reliability there, then that, that you know, that's potentially transformative. The other neat thing about rail is to the, I suppose, relative to a roads project, it, it takes place within an existing project corridor. So rail uh, upgrades take place where rail already exists. Um, mm. So, from a planning perspective, um, there's a much you know stronger uh, potential for projects to get through, get through fast, and uh, and come to fruition and deliver for Cork. And I think that's really really positive, actually. Mm. And that, of course, gives rise to the other 
problem we have out of this, which is roads. Roads are disruptive. Um, they're not as popular as they used to be because they're not seen as the most environmentally sustainable if everybody can hop in their own private car and drive around at 120 kilometres an hour. Let's talk about the NM20 Cork to Limerick Road. There is a sense building, Thomas, that this might not happen in the way it would have happened 12 years ago when it was originally planned, but there might be some form of improved connectivity. Is is that going to be good enough if we don't go for a full motorway but go for something that is the next best thing? Yeah, I think I think it's absolutely appropriate that the M20 as built built in a contemporary manner wouldn't be what it should have been 12 years ago. There's a much bigger opportunity here in terms of, you know, weaving in the mobility pieces, weaving in like if you look uh, one of the things that's actually in the NDP is a greenway from Galway to Dublin. Um, the N20 should include the equivalent greenway from Cork to Limerick. The M20 corridor uh, should include the significant rail upgrades that we spoke about. Um, it needs to be about like the connectivity between two cities rather than just about the the the, the road route. Now, the road um, as it stands is, as we all know, terribly deficient, terribly dangerous, has an incredible amount of junctions. It creates congestion in the towns along the way. Those towns can't transform until such time as HGVs are taken off the streets. So, like from a logistical perspective, from you know commercial perspective, vans, trucks, people commuting, um, a better solution needs to be found. And I think um, it needs to be as comprehensive as possible. It needs mm. to be as efficient as possible. It needs to work, Jonathan. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, but the problem and, um, is, Thomas, that when we've been talking about this for since when we were boys i think we can officially say that now with some confidence but uh, we know that there's objections to many of the routes that have been proposed so far um and if those objections build and continue that's going to kick the can down the road we saw what happened in other areas where where roads were built or proposed for areas where people weren't happy with them i mean we we might all be well retired by the time they finally get around to doing this I think you're 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 right, and I think that the, the the main the main challenge with delivery of infrastructure is around uh, planning, consent, objection, and and all of the delays that that puts in place. Um, you know, it's it's essential that you know any project that's brought forward is consulted on in, in an exemplary manner. And I I think the M20 in particular has had a very very proactive consultation process, and that'll actually continue uh, next year. You know, at the next phase when route selection becomes becomes uh, the next the next topic. Um, but ultimately, things like delays, uh, you know, in in high courts, um, you know, when you go into those types of phases, those delays are immense and very, very time consuming. And I think we, there is government absolutely needs to focus on bringing more efficiency to that process. So even if it was something as simple as improving the speed at which the courts can review projects, um, that would be important. Um, mm. Even if it's looking at, you know, how does what what is an appropriate um, manner in which uh, People can may have their say um, in, in which people can object, in which people can engage with the planning process. Um, yeah. All of that needs to be looked at. But fundamentally, if projects can't get through planning, final investment decisions can't be made. And the NDP is a nationally significant document that sets out, I suppose, how we wish to spend our money as a country. Um, and we need to deliver on that. And I think that that's, I would say, as much as you know, a lot of the discussion in the run-up to this has been like capital allocation, uh, I would believe that uh, a lot of the discussion will be around how much can can be delivered. Mm. Thomas, what are the things that the last 19 months have shown us is that we can respond quickly when we get to it. So in other words, we all had to sit outdoors to eat, so we reformed how we sat outdoors, and, and it was done with relatively little fuss. But the bigger the project, the more it becomes intangible uh, and, and it slows it down. 
do we need to just pick up the pace a little bit here for Cork to realise its potential to get to a city um, that that is nearly double in size? Are we lacking the little bit of vision? Even when we saw what was announced in the NDP, I mean, even is that enough? And is the timetable enough to get Cork to where it needs to be? I think I think what has to happen is that there needs to be progress on every single element of every single plan. So whether that's you know two hundred meters of cycle lane on a street in the city or or in a, a county town or whether it's traffic calming. Like as many projects need to be brought forwards in parallel as possible to ensure that the projects that get through planning and consent can be can be brought to tender. And I think that's very, very critical. If you look at CMATs, for example, like if, if that was to be fully implemented, and, and it will be, um, it would be transformative for Cork. So it's about, you know, not, for example, on that one, you know, there's, there's elements of there's elements of suburban rail, there's elements of light rail, there's elements of bus connects, there's elements of cycle pedestrianisation. Like it's not good enough to just pick the biggest shiny one and try and move that forward. Like every single element of that needs to be working in parallel because with the best laid plans, um, you need you need to uh, ensure that what's there and what's deliverable is being delivered rather than picking, uh, you know, specific, uh, you know, flagship projects. And uh, I think that that's what needs to happen. And I think that needs to happen across everything. And I would say, when you look at the types of funding that's there in the NDP, it's not a list of projects, it's a list of funding envelopes is probably a better way of describing it. And I believe that if you can bring projects to a point where a final investment decision will be made, if we can put ourselves in a competitive position where those projects are there, um, that funding can and will be forthcoming um, because Ireland uh, 2040 slates Cork for 50% growth, right? Uh, and, uh, and that's irrefutable and it needs to be capital allocation needs to align with that and that's a very simple formula you know otherwise we fall behind and and other cities will do better than us and we won't be as good as attracting inward investment and having jobs to the kids who mightn't even be born yet thomas look pleasure as always i i I was the negative nancy here you brought a little bit of optimism and positivity uh, which is always welcome i hope it bears out jonathan hopefully so thomas McHugh, director of public affairs at cork chamber thanks for joining us on red business red business all that's best about business in Cork. Now, a new team of female experts is looking to help women with all aspects of the menopause. It's called the Menopause Mentors, and it wants to guide women through the experience via the themes of physical, mental, emotional and nutritional health. Dr Fiona Barry is the founder of the Menopause Mentors. Fiona, how are you? Oh, sure. Listen, I'm great, Jonathan. How are you? I'm good. This is one of the things that is not talked about enough. And probably hasn't been the focus of enough attention over the years, how people deal with the menopause, how women deal with the menopause and everything that goes with it. What prompted you to set up the Menopause Mentors? I suppose exactly what you just said, Jonathan, and what you alluded to. I think women probably are never so lost as really during their menopausal years. And it's probably because most women know little or nothing about it. It's been one of those topics that's certainly been swept under the carpet um, I don't know, is it just an Irish thing? But I think it's been kind of mired in shame. And when we're shamed about something, then we don't tend to discuss it. And actually, there was a recent survey done. And it was, to be honest, it was a bit shocking and sad. I felt the statistics that came out of it, because it showed that seven out of 10 Irish women said they knew little or nothing about the menopause. And only two in 10 felt that they were prepared for it when they reached it. Hmm. Like everything else, there's a solution for most things in life. In this scenario, it it's a mix of modern medicine and indeed older medicine. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you think about the statistics I just mentioned, I mean, you know, how can a woman know what to do or who to turn to if she doesn't know what's happening to her? And I guess that's the why for the menopause mentors. We wanted to create a forum where women, I suppose, where we could have frank and open and honest discussion about this phase of a woman's life, you know, a safe space really for conversation and connection. And I suppose as an integrated practitioner, my background is in biomedicine. I have a degree from UCC in biomedicine and I have a PhD in pharmacology. But I did an about turn myself, I suppose, mid-career and I changed over and I did a licentiate, four-year licentiate in the UK in Chinese medicine. So my wellness clinics, I integrate the two medicines, the old and the new, and it works really well. There is no shortage of people who need support here. Let's face it, it happens to every woman. Um, Normally around the same time, but it varies from person to person. So how does it work? How do the menopause mentors help women who are going through that change in their life? Well, we've literally only just set up our Instagram page. We've we. Obviously, we've been doing a lot of background work, you know, um, behind the scenes to get it all up and running. Um, we would hope to use social media as a platform to open up conversation um, around, as you said, we're, we're targeting each area. We're targeting movement. We're tar- targeting nutrition. We're targeting hormonal, mental, emotional. So we're kind of trying to really take the most holistic pro- approach to it. So we'll obviously be doing kind of educational pieces and um, I suppose putting out educational content and reflective content on the Instagram page. But realistically, we're hoping to hold a series of events um, where women can come together and actually create a community, I suppose, for our women. And the first of those events Um, This is Menopause Awareness Month, the month of October. So our first event is going to be actually on the 31st of this month, which is a Sunday. Okay, and where's that going to be? That is going to be in the Cork International Hotel. Okay, very good. I would imagine a lot of this, and again, I have absolutely zero experience here, so I'm, I'm happy to come from a place of complete ignorance. But knowing humans as I do, half of the problem here is understanding that you're not alone and that the, the issues that are being posed by the menopause, someone else has gone through that before, might have been exactly the same, but you can feel a bit more normal when you hear someone else has done it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, you know, that was how the whole idea came about, really. It came about because I was having a particularly lazy Sunday or Saturday. It doesn't happen that often, but I'd had a nice lunch with my kids and I was literally kind of daydreaming in the garden. And what I was doing was I was, I suppose, thinking about actually the past kind of nigh on two years now and I suppose we've all had like probably the last two years has been life changing for an awful lot of us. And I was actually thinking about the support I'd received from other women and how they'd really shown up for me in and gotten me through the last 22 months. And that was where the concept came from. I, it, that it obviously naturally led me to think about what I do. I mean, I'm here in clinic and I spend probably 90% of my day educating women, uh, you know, and people about their health, not just obviously their physical health, but also their mental, emotional, spiritual health. And as, as I already said, that I feel that women are particularly lost during their menopausal years. Um, and it, it literally dawned on me, it was like a light bulb moment. And I thought, I need, we need to set up a group. We need to set up a forum for, to support these women and to talk. And as you said, to connect, because you're right. When you feel you're not alone, it's so much easier. And when you can reach out and talk to other people and say, has anybody else experienced this? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're creatures, I suppose, we're communal creatures, we're tribal creatures. So um, connection is a huge, huge part of this. 
I just find it fascinating. Last week we had We Are Riley on who are looking at sustainable period products and monthly subscriptions as a, a, a model that has been used for men's shaving products for years. But now women have realised, well, hang on a second, there's there's no reason why we couldn't do this. And now you, you're, you're setting up your business, the Menopause Mentors, because there's clearly a gap in the market. Is it good that women are seizing this business narrative, do you think, Fiona, uh, and addressing gaps that had historically appeared for many reasons, probably just because we didn't want to talk about the things in question? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's there's no way to get away from it, Jonathan. This isn't a kind of, um, so this is fact as opposed to um, it being, you know, uh, a kind of a, it's very hard, isn't it? I find when, when we kind of get into these waters, um, it's very hard as not to come across as feminist. And I think feminist has nearly become a bad word because the, the pendulum has swung so far in, was so far swung in one direction, it's had to swing really far in the other direction. But it is just fact. I mean, my background, as I said, is in, is in modern medicine. And it's very patriarchal. And the medical system is still very patriarchal. And most of the research, even even on drugs, um, you know, and pharmacological products are done on men because men have a simpler biology. It, it's just a fact of life. Women's biology is more complex. It has to be because we are the creators and the givers of life. So we are the ones who carry the child. So we, we are inherently going to be more complex because of that. But also, I think it just means that... Uh, I suppose women's health, I feel, has been very um, undervalued and has been very underserved. And I think it's time and it's great to see that that is changing and it's time it changed because our, our life expectancy is so much longer now that the reality of this is that a woman could be spending a half, is going to spend at least a third and could even potentially be living a half of her life in her menopausal years. Wow. And that... Yeah, and, and you should be living your best life uh, as opposed to the life that you, you get left with uh, because of society and the way that it might want to treat you. Can I ask you, how do people find out more about the upcoming event and more in general about the Menopause Mentors? Okay, well, um, there's four of us involved. I'd feel very, it would be very remiss of me if I didn't tell you who the team are. Um, I know we're known as the Menopause Mentors now, but forever in my mind, we'll be the dream team. Uh, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest, um, the minute I actually had the idea, I knew exactly who I wanted to contact. And I sent a voice message basically on Instagram to, th to three women, three other women, namely Orla MacAndrew, Louise George and Tracy McGarity. And literally, I would say I no sooner had the message sent to each of them when I got a response saying, yes, 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 a resounding yes, we would love to do this. So at the moment, we just have our Instagram page called The Menopause Mentor Mentors. So that's the underscore menopause underscore mentors, bit of a mouthful. And we will be putting everything out, out there really um, at the moment. So I suppose if people would follow us there, they'll get more um, details on our okay. events and obviously they'll be able to follow our posts. Brilliant. Fiona, we wish you and the other mentors the best of luck and Instagram is the place to find you. Dr. Fiona Barry, founder of the Menopause Mentors, thank you so much for joining us on Red Business. Thank you, Jonathan. My thanks as always to all of my guests. Don't forget you can download every episode right now from redextra.ie. Kira McDonough was the producer and we'll catch you on the next one. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. 